All right, well, that was whacked out. Um, all right, uh, my name is, let's give that a round of applause. We were trying to do this thing where we were like, whoa, like, how can we display, like, the world really slow? Okay, um, my name is uh, Michael, and uh, I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, uh, we are excited. We are in the last week of our series in Genesis, and uh, we've been blessed throughout the whole summer to have a bunch of guests with us. Uh, we had Dan Sanderson, who's running around here, the, the bass the man of the base. We've had uh, Dan Gillis, right? Um, the 80-year-old, 20-year-old something man. Uh, we had uh, Zach, the funniest human being that ever lived. And today we are blessed by having another guest with us. His name is Victor. Victor, come on out. And uh, Victor is legit. He is... Uh, you guys are a bunch of hooligans. Um, Victor is in charge of all of our Village U Immerse intern stuff at the church, and uh, he has been a blessing in disguise for our whole ministry. He's awesome. He's an incredible leader. He is a friend of mine. Um, I go to him for a bunch of random stuff, and he makes fun of me. It's the best kind of relationship you could have, and uh, it's been awesome this summer just to kind of do things uh, together with him. Uh, you guys are blessed, and uh, I'm very excited to hear from Victor today as he is um, is one of those people who you look at him as he speaks on stage and you look at the rest of his life and all the words that come out of his mouth just mean more. Now, that probably doesn't mean a lot for you guys because he's new to you, but for me, it's, it's a lot. And uh, you guys are blessed. Uh, let's, give, uh, let's give Victor a round of applause as he comes and gives a word of love to us. Cool. I heard uh, you gave nicknames to other people. That's, so that's cool. I'll, I'll just... You guys can call me like Black Eye or like Viper. Call me Viper. I like that. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's good to be here. I'm excited to be here with you guys. There's a lot of you. It's awesome. Hey, do you know that God wants to use you? No, crazy thought. Like he wants to, he wants to actually use you now. Like not now, now, but like now in this time in your life, in this time in in this space and this moment, he actually wants to use you. See what I did there? Because it's the title. He wants to use you. He's excited to use you. He wants to use you in a whole variety of ways. And this isn't a new idea. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about it. He says, hey, don't let people look down upon you because you're, if you know the verse, because you're young. Because those, those people are dumb. Because they don't get that God works through young people. And that he works through anybody. And he works through all of you guys. If you guys know the story of the Gospels, you know the disciples. When Jesus calls the disciples, he doesn't say, follow me. And uh, make sure you get your master's degree and your, your leadership tidbits and your, all your tools and gifts before you follow me. He just says, follow me. And if you know anything about the disciples, they were like, half of them were the, your age. Were a bunch of teenagers, fishermen, who were just like... A crazy bunch of dudes. They make a mess of stuff. But then they all of a sudden start casting out demons, healing people. The best sermons in all of history are done by these guys. They actually write portions of the Bible. God uses a variety of people at young age, old age. And God is using people right now today. He's using you. And the Yeah, that's crazy. 
He uses you. And, and the cool part is that this should inspire you because it's not really about how gifted you are or how talented you are, how much charisma you have, how eloquent you are with your words. Um, he, because the reality is, Paul talks about in one of his letters, he says, you're just a bunch of jars of clay, which is kind of like the modern day, like they're so like common. It's like you're, he's like saying you're a styrofoam cup. Like you're just kind of, that's how important you are. <laughs> because it's not about you, it's what's in you that we have to offer. It's the Holy Spirit in you that is making change for the rest of the world. Let me just give you a, an idea here. Let me give you an, a, an illustration for this. Uh, I was a youth pastor for, for a lot of years before this. And now I'm the director of interns here at Village Church. Uh, and I remember, I remember my first message. I remember my first sermon, all right? And uh, it was terrible and you know like everyone's like super modest and they say that no I actually mean it was terrible it was though if you hear it it sounds like I'm about to pee my pants like I'm so nervous and it's it's I actually I actually have a little clip do you want to hear it this is this is 30 seconds of my first ever message in the world here we go here we go Okay, we can shut that off. That's okay. So <laughs> you get you get the idea. You get the idea here. And it, this is the worst part. They actually hired me as a youth pastor. All right. And and right after that, you know what I did for my first event? I'm gonna like I'm gonna hit it hard and I do something crazy. And so what I do is my my genius idea is I get all the guys. I'm saying we're gonna do an all-nighter, okay? And so I get all the guys, we're going to do crazy guy stuff. We're going to talk about Jesus, and it's going to get vulnerable, and we're going to talk about, open up about stuff, and we're going to set an environment, and we're going to do stuff throughout the whole night. So we got games, we got events, we got movies, and then I have this brilliant idea. I get those, I don't know if you know those, like, puzzle piece mats that are, like, this thin, and, like, usually, like, in nurseries and stuff. Uh, they're, like, all colorful. So I get a bunch of those pads, and I put them out, and I'm like, we're going to wrestle. Like, we're a bunch of guys together, and we're going to actually wrestle it out. And so this was the dumbest idea ever because we start wrestling, and two guys who are actually not, like, on good terms at all and want to get it out of their system uh, happen to be going at it each other. So they're up next. <laughs> One of them, so they go at it. I'm like, this is a bad idea. I'm just going to let it happen. Uh, they go at it, and they're going hard. Like, they want to hurt each other. And one of them actually gets the other person a headlock. And you, you know when they're, like, they're squeezing so hard that their arms are shaking because they're just trying to actually kill the person? <laughs> and the guy's in the headlock, and he can't do anything. Instead of tapping, he's just like, F! He just, like, yells out an F-bomb, like, to everyone. And then he storms off, just F, 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 F through the hallway, and it's just like awkward silence in the room. And I'm like, all right, let's put on Shrek. We're going to watch Shrek now. <laughs> so we, put, we watched Shrek after that. That was my segue into Shrek. And so be encouraged that if God can use me as an 18, 19-year-old guy with that kind of sermon, with that kind of leadership ability, he can definitely use you in whatever talents and gifts you have. But there's something else unique to this. 
There's not just God using you now. You may know that already. God, maybe Chinch has been preaching that at you. You already know that he, God wants to use you now. But there's this other aspect of this thing called Christianity where God is actually preparing you for something very great in the future. He's actually deeply invested in your future, probably more than you are. And this is where the story of, of Genesis 37, this is where we launch into. This is the story of Joseph. You guys may have read the story of Joseph before. Joseph is a young punk uh, who has a bunch of brothers, and he is the favorite. Who's the favorite here in your family? Okay, you can go home. You don't want your kind here. No, just kidding. I was probably the favorite too. So this, this story starts to open up in Genesis 37 where it talks about his, his 11 other brothers and here's Joseph. And Joseph's so favored by his dad, Jacob, that he actually makes like knits together this crazy cloak for him. Okay, like it's, it says it's like rainbow colored. Okay, so for us today, that's probably not that exciting. So picture like Macklemore and Thrift Shot. Okay, Thrift Shop, like the crazy fur jacket. That's probably like, dun, 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 dun. Is that how it goes? I'm, I'm so old. I don't even know how the song goes. Sing it. Sing it. Come on. You guys know. Don't, don't do the swear, though. Just pass the swear. Just beep it. Okay, good. That's good. You got it. So Mac, Joseph is wearing now this balling coat. All right, that his dad gave it. And he's a little proud. Like he's, he's rubbing it in his brother's face. And then what happens is God actually gives him a dream. And it says this in Genesis 37, verses 5. There's the reference there. You can open the Bibles yourself. Then Joseph uh, had a dream. And when he told to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to him, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are we really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And so what, what Joseph's doing here is kind of stupid. He's actually rubbing it in their face, knowing that they already hate him. And he kind of puts it in their face even more. And the crazy part about this, that the story continues where Joseph has another dream and he rubs it in their face again. And so Joseph has this ball and coat. He's having dreams and God's saying, you're going to actually rule one day. There's this kind of this promise given through this dream. And his brothers are hating him even more and more and more. And he's getting to the place where he's getting kind of proud, a little arrogant. He thinks, yeah, I've kind of earned this coat. He's like, I'm kind of a boss. He's, he's on top of the world. And then something crazy happens. Everything crashes and burns for Joseph. One day, he's on top of the world. And his dad says, go out and meet your brothers and so he goes out and meets his brothers, and his brothers hate him so much at that point that he's, they're starting to get the idea of, like, let's kill this kid. We're done with him. And they're like, no, we shouldn't kill him. That's just cray-cray. Let's throw him in this pit over there. And so he's, he's coming over, and they grab, Jake, they grab Joseph, and they throw him into this pit. And then it says here in, in uh, verses 30, or 27, it says, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And so his, bro his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, 
So they pulled him and lifted Joseph out of the pit. So Joseph probably thinking, like, finally, like, I'm free. He's like, nope, we're selling you to these random people. Um, and it says the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels, which was a normal price for a slave was 30. So they're just trying to pawn him off. They just want to get rid of him at this point. And, though they, and then they brought him, Joseph, to Egypt. So as twisted as this is, there's something kind of odd happening here. The verses before this, what happens is Joseph is looking for his brother and they're not in the normal spot. And just by chance, by coincidence, a traveler meets them at that place and happens to know where his brothers are and directs them that way. And so you kind of see in this weird way, you see the sovereignty of God, that God's actually, in a sense, leading him to something traumatic. So why would God do that? Why would God lead us to something where there's suffering, there's pain? It doesn't seem like how God functions. But it's interesting that God, and we should be grateful for this, he cares more about what we want. He cares that the fact that we want a girlfriend or comfort or money or power, or we want to get on stage and be famous. He cares more about us that he won't give us what we want necessarily. He'll give us something better He'll give us something that's actually soul satisfying, that he, the author of creation who wired us, actually knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's best for us, better than we know ourselves. And he gives us something greater than any other comfort. And it's a sense that we have a deep purpose that will affect eternity. And so what he does is he lays that out for Joseph but Joseph had to be prepared for that, what he had for him. And you see it in the story that there's, there's kind of three things that Joseph has to go through. And the first one is struggle. The second one is temptation. And the third one is waiting. So the first one, we see Joseph struggled that he lost everything. His family betrayed him. His, they left him alone to die. He has no one. He's all alone. So he's physically, emotionally, and mentally struggling right now. He's suffering. And the New Testament has a weird perspective on suffering. Paul kind of writes this, this text in Romans 5 verses 4. It says, we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance in character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in a weird way, there's actually something beautiful about suffering because it produces something beautiful in our lives. Not just vain, it's just not for the sake of nothing. There's actually something beautiful that comes out of it. It interrupts your life and it causes you to question everything. When suffering comes your way, you start to ask the hard questions. What am I doing with my life? Is this working? Maybe you're in a sin. Maybe you're in a rut. Maybe it's something that you're trying to see if it pans out outside of Jesus. Is that life really working for me? What really matters in life? That's what su- those are the questions that suffering pushes in your face when we want to just coast and just go on autopilot through high school and through life. It halts everything, just like it did for Joseph. And it redirects you. And if done well, 
Because you can do two natural things. You can resent God for suffering, or you can move to God and depend on him. And it magnetizes you to Jesus, and it refines your character. It's just, there's this beautiful thing that comes out of suffering that sometimes we miss. My, friend, uh, my friend's wife actually got in a really bad accident, a uh, car accident. And since she's been in that car accident for years, she's had like intense uh, migraines and headaches. Like it's this continual, there's no relief. And so she tried everything like medicine. She's tried like naturopaths. She's tried like different ways. She's asked for healing. She's prayed. And for years, nothing has been, nothing has been remedying the headaches. And so she's sitting with this pain and it's actually cost her a lot. She's had to quit her job. She's had to lose some opportunities. She's had to give up some things because she can't function very well. She kind of just had to stay at home and do the day-to-day life stuff. And the most interesting perspective came out of this where she's reflecting on her situation and she's realizing, you know, what this thing has done for me, it's actually made me and forced me to push closer to Jesus. And through that, our relationship has actually flourished and I've learned, I've grown, and I've seen Jesus in a new way I would have never have if it wasn't for this accident. And then she describes it as a gift. That's weird. That this whole accident thing was actually a gift because the, what came out of it is a more intimate, a more beautiful, and more vibrant relationship with Jesus. You know, we avoid suffering as much as we possibly can. Because we, we love pleasure. We love coasting. We love easy living. But there's, there's going to be a shift for some of you, where for some of you, it's, it's what keeps you up at night, what you can't, you cannot, because you're so terrified, is it a moment of suffering, or is it missing out on a chance to look and draw closer to Jesus? And when we, when we become more and more in love with Jesus, the scales begin to tilt, and we begin to get to a point where like, I don't care what it costs me. If I get to know Jesus more, if I become more like Jesus, I don't care what suffering brings because you love Jesus that much. The cost is, is that much worth it. So we ask the question, we look in the story of Joseph, but why does Joseph have to struggle before seeing what God had promised him? He laid out this beautiful dream where he's going to be a ruler, he's going to be a leader one day. Why not now? Have you guys ever seen uh, Teen Mom on MTV? <laughs> What a show. That show is crazy. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen it before. It's about like teenage moms who are like 14 and 15 who get pregnant and have a baby. And it's just so dramatized that they, it just shows them their life of what it's like to be a teen mom. I don't watch it. I don't, I don't watch it. But like I know people do. And, uh, and there's just like they're fumbling through life because they're now before where they were, their priorities were like Snapchat and keeping up with the Kardashians. Now they're figuring out like how to do breastfeeding diapers, looking up flu shots and doing the research. Their whole life flips around. And the crazy part, and there's one part like I haven't seen it. A friend told me. But there's this one part where like they this loser of a boyfriend tries to like marry him and he shows up like drunk at the wedding it's like crazy dramatized because the reality is they're so young and it's, it's not any slight against teenagers but that you don't have the capacity you don't have the uh the life experience or the emotional maturity to bear the weight of parenting it's too early and so they create a show on it and dramatize it because they show these young girls fumbling through what it means to be a parent In the story of Joseph, God recognizes 
If he fulfilled what he promised Joseph as an arrogant, proud young boy, it would crush him. And God wouldn't get any glory out of that. You know, it's, it's like going on your first date and you have like a bouquet of roses. I don't, you guys probably don't do this anymore. I don't think this is a thing. But let's just pretend it is, okay? You're that bold to show up with a bouquet of roses on your first date, all the dudes. But you buy like roses that were cheaper because they're not like blossomed yet. They're just like those green little buds. And you show up. It's like, it's, they're, not, they're not beautiful yet. They're not roses. They're just like green little weeds and you show with that and you're like hey let's go if you're any girl here you'd be like you're a joke like get out of here like that's probably how it would go down because those roses aren't roses yet it's too early it's premature and the same is with what God has called you to do it would crush you if God just handed it to you a silver platter now there's there's this aspect of preparation but that's the cool part about this that he is so, he loves what he has for you so much and holds it in high esteem so much that he wouldn't give it to you because it's so good that if you did it now, you'd fail. It's that good of a thing that it's, it's, it, you're willing to work towards, you're willing to build towards it because it's that great. That's how great plans God has for you. It's crazy. It should be encouraging. What God calls you to do takes capacity. It's like you need the big bucket to hold all the water. But capacity comes through character and character comes through a process. There's, this, there's a story in Jeremiah 18 about uh, this prophet Jeremiah and God tells him, hey, go to that potter's house. So he goes to the potter's house and he watches the potter and the potter takes this, what it's called spoiled clay. And the spoiled clay is like, it's like when it's hard. And so he washes the potter and he takes spoiled clay, which normally potters would just throw out. He starts to like mold it and bend it and like, like push it and it starts to make it, put water on it, starts to make it into a bowl, something's usable. And then God interrupts Jeremiah and says, you don't think I can do that? You don't think I can do that with people? You don't think I can do that with you? That I can take someone and push on them and bend their stubborn heart? I can, I can cut out the clay of their sin. I can maul them into my will. You don't think I can do that? I can do that with anyone. But it's a process. That takes time. That's not an overnight thing. And that's what Joseph had to go through. Joseph gets, this is the, the best part of the story. So Joseph becomes a slave and he gets pawned off from this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar is like a, a rich dude who has a giant estate. Um, and so what Joseph gets to do, he says in the text that uh, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph's just killing it at slave stuff. I don't know what slave stuff is, but he's killing it. And he gets promoted in the house where he's just taking over the whole house. He's dealing with all the finance. He's managing all the other slaves. And so he's doing really well in, in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar has this floozy, crazy wife who is like, ditch my husband. I want to sleep with that dude because he's good looking. And so she's trying to sleep with Joseph. And she says weird stuff like, lay with me. Lay with me. And so he's, he's saying the text is saying, lay with me. He's like, no, I'm not into that. I'm not going to do that. And he keeps pushing back, pushing back. And there's a point, like she's like a serpent woman, you know, like and she's like hiding. She's waiting for like all the slaves, other servants to be gone. And she's hiding. And Joseph's just doing his servant stuff. And she like jumps on him like a chimpanzee. All right. She like, cl- she actually like clings to him. All right. And she's clinging to him. And, and he's like, get off me, woman. And like you demon woman. And he pushes her back. And she, he pulls 
he, she pulls his like robe off and he just like books it out. This is what happens. True story. This happened in history once. And the crazy part about this story is here's an innocent man and she, she uh, falsely accuses him when Potiphar comes back. He's like, he tried to touch me. And uh, she, he goes to jail for it, all right? So an innocent man goes to jail. <laughs> goes to jail. There's something in us that's just like, that's not, that's not right. There's something wrong about that. Here's a little side note for you guys. Let's go over here. This is a side note. All right? There is no fame in purity. When it comes to any other Christian ethic, man, when we're talking about feeding the poor, oh, man, the world is applauding that. You're a good person. You're a moral person. Amen. We want to, like, enforce that. We want to encourage that. You'll get some, some honor for that. You'll get some fame for that. When you're generous, you'll get, people love that. When you're forgiving your friends, people love that. The world loves that. They're applauding you. But when you decide to be pure, when you decide to wait for marriage, there's nothing in the world that'll applaud that. So what that does for you is it gets to the point where is Jesus enough? Is what he thinks of me enough? Is his satisfaction for me enough? You know what happens for, for Joseph when he is innocently runs away for a moment where he could just give in and indulge and he could sleep with that person and no one would know and he chooses to be self-controlled and run and flee from it? It says that the steadfast love fell on Joseph. Is that enough for you? Does that drive your purity? That it's good enough that, man, I am willing to withstand because the sweetness of the steadfast love of the Father is so good. And that's what drives me. You know, when I, when I counsel people, I never, when they're dealing with pornography or lust or any of these issues around this stuff, I'm never harping on like, man, this is like how you have to deal with it. You have to hit it. You have to focus on it. I'm just like, man, how are you creating a greater affection for Jesus? Because when you, when you get your focus off your sin and onto Jesus, this becomes, turns what look like the sweetest flavors of the world becomes muddy and hollow and empty, over-promises and under-delivers. And the sweetness of Jesus' steadfast love is what drives you. And so we see that in this story, this idea of temptation. Just like all of us, here's an opportunity for Joseph to derail from this idea of process, of what God has for him but he doesn't. He stays the course. God refines his character, his courage, his self-control, his righteousness. Whatever God has for you, there will be moments where you'll be tempted to derail, whether you fear holds you back from what God has you. You're paralyzed to not take risks and trust God. Maybe apathy holds you back. You just, you're not motivated enough to do what God has for you. Maybe it's a bad relationship that's holding you back. Whatever it may be, there's going to be moments in your life where in your process with God, when you're journey with God, where things are going to want to derail you all the time. And here's a picture for us that Joseph stayed the course. And we get a little annoyed. We get a little annoyed that, that he went to jail because there's something in us that thinks in the back of our head that God actually owes him, that he was pure and he did the right thing, so he should be in jail. And we all think that. 
There's something in us that says, man, I did, I did devotions every day this week. God owes me to answer my prayer. You know, I save myself for marriage. God owes me a good wife. I gave to that cause or I donated to that church. God owes me this job interview. The crazy thing is, in what world does God owe us anything? We treat him like a vending machine where we put something in and he gives something back. The gospel makes it clear that we come to the table empty-handed. We have nothing to bring. In fact, all we do bring is our sin. God owes us nothing, but out of his steadfast love, he gives us everything. His son, to live in this world, live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sin, and to rise again three days later, that we may have reconciliation, that we may have life again with Jesus. This is what he offers us. You don't, you don't owe him, he doesn't owe you anything. And so our response is, in light of our eternal debt of what he's done for us, the only thing I can do is respond by loving. The only thing I can do is respond by loving him. I have no leverage on him. This is the gospel. But then we see this picture in Joseph where he spends 12 years in prison. So there's this idea of waiting. And when we wait, we can either compromise and just get out early or we can trust you know, there's not much that's said around this area where, where Joseph, um, he has to, what he does in jail. Um, but we can imagine that day after day after day, he has to wake up every morning and say, God, I trust what you said. And I'm putting to death my doubts every morning. Because God wanted to build his faith because faith is one of the best things you can have in your life because every issue comes down to faith. Everything comes down to faith. And the reason that when I was younger, when I looked at porn, was because I didn't actually believe Jesus had better pleasure for me. It was a trust issue. The reason I didn't give much to the church because I didn't actually believe God was my provider. You know, the reason I didn't tell my, my friend about the, Jesus, because I actually didn't necessarily believe God would save him. It comes, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, everything comes down to faith. Do we believe it? Do we trust him when he says what he says? You know, I was in this, uh, we had to, um, we had to sell our piano, and uh, there was this awkward moment where this kind of this awkward guy came in our house to buy the piano off Craigslist, and we did an e-transfer for a lot of money. And the e-transfer, so all his money got sent out. I don't know if you know how that works. It's like online through text messaging. So he gave his money to us and it came out of his bank account. But it didn't, it didn't go into ours. So it was just out in the cloud somewhere. All right? So we were waiting for a long time. So he couldn't leave with the piano because we didn't know if the money would come in. And he couldn't leave without the piano because we might actually have all his money. And so we were in the awkward waiting time where I'm just trying to make small talk with this dude that I have no idea who he is in my house. And the longer I the wait, the longer I'm just doubting. I'm just like... I think this guy's going to stay the night. I'm like, I don't know who he is. Like, we might be locked into this for longer than four hours. Because waiting does something with you. Time is the gym that faith is, always works out at. Jesus tests your faith and tries your faith always with time. Do you trust him? Do you trust the waiting? What are you struggling to believe that God's laid out for you? So the story continues and it kind of wraps up here. It says, 
Joseph interprets, um, so what happens is how he gets out of jail is um, he gets this opportunity to interpret another jailmate's dream, and the jailmate gets out of jail, and uh, then Pharaoh has this dream, and the, the jailmate was actually the cupbearer of the Pharaoh, so he's back in his position, and he's telling Pharaoh, he said, hey, I know a dude who actually interprets dreams. He's in jail right now, and so they get Joseph finally 12 years out of jail. He comes up, and he starts to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh says, hey, I have this weird dream about seven skinny cows, seven fat cows, and Joseph's like, oh yeah, that's about seven like good years of harvest, and then seven like years of famine, and Pharaoh is like blown away by this dude, and this is his response, and this is where the whole story just climaxes in this beautiful moment where everything Joseph had to go through comes to this moment, and it says the whole thing comes to this beautiful realization where in verse 38, it says, Pharaoh says, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. They promote Joseph to like the second most powerful person in Egypt in this moment. But more importantly, Joseph's obedience, perseverance, and courage makes God look glorious. Pharaoh in this moment realizes this guy serves a great God. What God prepares us for, whatever it may be, whatever expression it is, he's calling you to, it will always be to make the invisible God visible to people around us. That's the whole point of this. The same story in Daniel 3 these three Hebrew guys who will not bow down to an idol get thrown into like this furnace. And the furnace is flaming. It's like fiery fl- flames and, and stuff in the furnace. Like it's crazy fire. And, uh, and they get thrown into this furnace because they just will not bow down to any other idol. And they don't burn. Like not even a hair gets singed. And they get pulled out. And the king who threw them in makes this crazy statement because of their obedience He said, blessed to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent the angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. This is a beautiful pattern that God follows. Our obedience makes God look great. And that people around us begin to see, who is this God? Your God is crazy. He saved you. He pulled you through. He made you wise. In the story of Joseph, Pharaoh says, there is no one wiser. This guy must be from God. In your story, what is your life saying about you? There is no one more forgiving. This person must be from God. There is no one who loves newcomers at youth. This person must be from God. There is no one who speaks better about people. This person must be from God. What is your life saying about you? The most loving thing we can do in this life is to arrange our everything in a way that points people to Jesus. Every sense of calling, destiny, purpose, whatever we call in it, this is the only goal they all have in mind. So we all have the same purpose, there's just different expressions. May people say, who is this God? So we wrap it up tonight, and I'll invite the the band up. We know God wants to use us now. We've we've made that clear that that there's things like we, we see evidence that God is actually using, God's using this youth group to do incredible eternal things. 
That's crazy. We know God uses us now. But God also wants to prepare us for something beyond you. It has to be both. There's some of you in this room that have no vision. You haven't even thought about the future. You're only focused in the now. And there's some of you who have been so paralyzed with fear of what the future will be that you can't even think about the present. It has to be both. We have to function both ways. What does God have for you in the future? And what is God doing with you right now? And so I want to pray into this. And I wanna, what I would love to do is I'd respond. We're going to have some time of worship tonight. And maybe for some of you, you even had the conversation. God, what would you use me for? What would you want me to do? And the crazy idea is what if like, what if, if as we worship and pray and ask that question, God actually tells you, I know, insane, that he actually might tonight be, might be the night where he actually speaks to you and says, actually, this is what I have for you. This is where I want you to follow. This is where I want you to go. What if, he, what if we had that kind of faith, that he actually might speak to us in that way tonight? And maybe there's some of you in this room that you know, you have this sense, like, I know where God's leading me, but there's things that have blocked that in the way, whether it's temptation well, you just kind of derailed. You're just like, yeah, I, I know that I'm supposed to be over here, but I just got derailed over here. And God wants to pull you back. Maybe that, that's a conversation you need to have with God. I just whether it's fear, whether it's lust, whether, whatever it's, whatever it may be. And maybe there's some of you where you just like, the struggle is real, where you are, feel like you're suffering, like Joseph did. People betrayed you. People spoke behind you, behind your back. And instead of leaning into God, you actually kind of start resenting him. How could you let this happen? What if you had that conversation tonight with him? What if you're open enough to say, God, speak into that. Because I'm confused. I don't know what's happening. I'm struggling. I feel like I've been derailed for what you have for me. What if we responded with that kind of faith tonight? Say, God, I just want to have a conversation with you and worship. You know my needs, you know what I'm feeling, you know my sin, you know my, my struggle, you know my path. I want to open myself up in worship for you to speak. And what if tonight he just, all he did was just give you, he just steadfast love, you felt it. You felt it for the first time. It's like, man, you are, you're, you're killing it. You're doing great. Feel my love. Or you're, you're, you're doing terrible. Feel my love. What if that was just his response to you tonight? And that's all it was. Man, what would that taste like? What would that feel like? Maybe for some of you, you've never felt that. So what I want to do is I want to encourage you to stand. I'm going to pray for you and then we'll respond with worship. So Lord, we recognize that you have something so beautiful for us in the future. Man, you, you don't want to just leave us here in the present but you are deeply invested in something. That's not just a job, that's not just a paycheck, that's not just a family, but something that's weighty in eternity. You care for everyone in this room. There's no exemption. So Father, speak, speak tonight, speak to us. For those who just need love, man, pour it out. Pour it out tonight. For those who need direction, Give direction. Holy Spirit, give guidance. For these need to just come to the table and say, I got nothing but sin. Or bring forgiveness.
You're always faithful to do that. So let's respond tonight. Amen.